right, welcome everybody to another episode of EM Over Easy here recording, I'm not going to say live, recording live in person, but not to be broadcasted live from Cord 2019 in Seattle. We have our fourth co-host, John Casey, joining us today. Hello. And then we have a special guest with us today who's been on with us before, Lois Swisher. She is a recovering nocturnist from Philadelphia, moved her shift from right around midnight to 6 p.m. start, which is close. You're getting close to regular daytime hours. Working on it. Still don't have to see light many times. Yeah, and that's actually not bad. And today she's here talking to us about the idea of shame and the role it plays in us personally and the role it plays with us in medicine. So Lois, why don't you go and introduce this subject for us then? Well, I'm so glad to be back on EM Over Easy. And it's really exciting for me to be doing this at CORD because for me, this is where it all started three years ago in Nashville. Um, and that is when um, Chris Doty had a resident who uh, died by suicide, and he had written this open letter three days after Carlos had uh, died. And I thought that this was the most amazing thing I've ever seen, was this open letter to the entire Chord Collective so quickly. And um, wanted to get involved. And so we actually met at Cord in Nashville mm-hmm. and I think started down this road. And now the way I describe how Chris and I have interacted over the past three years is that we sort of decided to take, take this master's level course in vulnerability and empathy as an antidote to shame in medical culture. And a lot of the last three years, we've learned a variety of lessons. So I'd like to share those today. Even before we get started, the idea that vulnerability and shame are in the same sentence. I can tell you six months ago were not two things I would put together. Neither would have I. I've learned so much. But I'm excited that they're together now for what we're talking about today. Yeah, I learned a lot. It was awesome and it was frightening and it completely changed my life. So I know you have some scenarios we're going to walk through. Let's start. Well, I have some lessons. Mm -hmm. And the very first lesson I learned was um, guilt and shame are not the same. How do you think of the difference between guilt and shame? One is self-imposed and one is true. So when I think of guilt, I'm guilty of something. I, I went and stole a cookie from the cookie jar. I am guilty of that. To me, shame comes in where I'm guilty. I was caught stealing a cookie. And then the shame is my interpretation of being held accountable for my guilt. Yeah, that's a, a good way to look at it. The person that I, my go-to person to listen to for TED Talks and podcasts mm-hmm. is Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. And the way she talks about it is that guilt is I did something bad mm-hmm. and shame is I am bad. Yeah. And they're different because shame that I am bad leads to the depression, suicidality, that judgment component, addictions. When you have shame, you also get these other things that come with it. Guilt, though, tends not to be related, that I did something bad versus I am bad. And it was interesting when that letter came out. Before that, when my daughter had her brain tumor diagnosis, I felt like I was a bad mother and a bad doctor. And then when the letter came out and there was Shine a Light, Speak Its Name, Create a Legacy, I felt this change to guilt that I hadn't done anything. I had been focused on myself and here was an opportunity to do something. Mm -hmm. And that was the starting point of telling my story and changing from the secrecy and silence of how I felt 
to doing something different. And I think that was the first thing I learned. I think it's a really important concept because words matter quite a bit. And I think that subtle distinction that you brought up is so important. That difference between, and it's sometimes in the pain of it all, you can't recognize the difference maybe in yourself or in another person that a person feels horrible about an action they took. And maybe that action was a required action. Maybe maybe guilt, you know, guilt is sometimes people do feel guilty about actions that they otherwise had to take anyway. I felt really, you know, they, they talk about it kind of in looser terms. I felt guilty that I had to decline this patient's request or I felt guilty that I had to do this to my child or I felt guilty that I couldn't do this for my child versus that subtle flip that happens when you're talking about shame, which is, it's no longer about the act, it's about the person. And we've talked about similar things on EM Over Easy before, things like fundamental attribution error. And this is one of those cases where I think highlighting that distinction and keeping that in mind is, is going to be really important. Yeah, and I know there were people that were worried about me because I specifically talked about feeling guilty for not having done anything for 16 years, but probably actually that was an improvement from where I was before. I had a long way to go. That feeling of guilt made me feel like I could do something. And when I did something, it would sort of equal the score in some way. And it's true because it sounds like by using those terms, if you're not in that space, you can have better empathy for someone that is. You know, imagine the difference between saying you did a bad thing versus you're a bad person. Those, if we are telling that to someone, we know those have very different meanings. meanings. And so we try and choose our words really carefully. But when we hear from someone, we may not be hearing the actual, uh, the way they're saying it, or we may be misattributing what they're actually feeling to what they're saying. So I think that distinction of of what we should pay attention to, what they're saying, and then clarifying that can really make a, a big impact for how we interact with people. Yeah, I agree too. Even with knowing all that, sometimes it can be really hard to tell the story. Right. Because one of the first things you have to do to get over shame is to tell the story. And that's where the vulnerability comes in. Brene Brown talks about three things that you need to foster shame, to keep that growing. And that is secrecy, silence, and judgment. And when you have those three things, shame will continue to fester and build. But if you have that empathy, that's the, that's the thing that stops the growth. And you think when you're in that place of shame that the silence is what's keeping you free because nobody else knows, but really that's your prison. And once you take that step, the leap to tell the story and bad things don't happen, you give it the light of day, it seems to decrease the power of it. And the more you do it, the less power it has. It's interesting in hearing that because you hear that reverberated so many times in different aspects of society where shame is a feature of whatever the condition or social element is. You, you hear this similar ways that you described it in people battling alcohol and drug addiction the shame of not being able to speak out loud their truth, people with gender identity issues, the, the shame of, of, that they feel about themselves in the community and that, that fear of, if I speak this, then dot, dot, dot. 
And so you're right that, that that silence is really a prison. And it's so fascinating to talk about how do you move toward breaking that silence? It was interesting. When you talk about the gender identity issues and the coming out, that was where I thought about because I started looking for other people who had similar stories and there aren't many out there. And so I actually went to one of my gay friends and said, I know you've done this and you've had to talk about this. Mm -hmm. How does this go? And one of the things that we talked about is it wasn't just a one-time thing. You have to do it again and again and again and again. And the more that you did it, um, the easier it seemed to go. That brings me to the, when you tell the story the first time, it's not easy for the listener, yeah. and it's not easy for the teller. Yeah. And when Chris and I did it, when he sent the letter, I'm like, oh, this is no way going to be by email or phone, first off. This is yeah. going to be in person. And then we got to Las Vegas, and I said, hi, I'm Lois. I wrote you. I was suicidal. He's like, yeah, we can talk about that sometime. We need to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. was like, thank you. God, because I can't do this right now. Yeah. And we both went separate ways. And like, well, okay, that wasn't horrible. Yeah. Um, and then we came to Nashville when we tried again. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Interesting. Well, Andy, you do an amazing talk on delivering bad news. Mm-hmm. And that's something, something that you mentioned was something that Andy has also mentioned, mm-hmm. that the first time is incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. And I don't – it does get – easier but it gets easier because of the experience of having done it but I don't know that it's ever easy and I think that's the same thing maybe sharing that story does it ever become easy it does it does and that's interesting and I think about this I before my story came out in in the big way printed in emergency medicine news I went to a concert and this artist, Jewel, was talking about her life and she left her home in Alaska when she was 15 and ended up being in California and there was some shoplifting stuff and living in cars and things like that to survive. And I'm looking around, it's like, how can you do this with all these people out here? I don't know if I would ever be able to do that. And now it's almost like, yeah, okay, I'm the suicidal one. Like, do we have to do this whole story? Do we have right. To do it again? <laughs> right. <Start like> zero. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so it has been. I've been able to feel okay about that myself, and I don't have the judgment for myself, and I don't care about your judgment anymore. And yeah. so, I've moved further along on that. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I love that point where it's I don't care about your judgment anymore because I feel like that's what translates from people who stuck are kind of in the shame cycle is they spend so much time looking at exterior cues if it's okay for them to be who they are or feel the way that they feel. But once you get past that, you just get better and you get out of the cycle of having shame be the main narrative in your life. Yeah. So there's the the part of telling the story Mm -hmm. and then there's the the response. Mm -hmm. And I think how you progress does depend some on the response and the example I have is when we were in 2017, Chris and I did a session at, at court on mm-hmm. suicide. And it was a back and forth between our stories. And when we were going over the slide, there was one that he stopped on. It was my 
wellness wheel that was completely devastated in every part. It looked like shrapnel was all over it. (laughs) And that was how I felt after my daughter was diagnosed. And still 16 years later. And I, that time period in between, I was very anxious, waiting for what the response was going to be. So I was waiting for what the judgment, like, what's the verdict here? How, you know, I filling all that space with all my thoughts. And when we got to when he finally spoke, which felt like forever, it was probably two minutes, he said, I don't know what I would have done if it was my son. I was like, that is amazing. He didn't ask me what I did in that time or why I didn't get better. He wrote a letter in three days, and I didn't do anything in 16 years. I'm like, wow, I don't know what I would have done was the best response I could have been. Could have been. And I never thought of that. In that time period, I yeah. thought of 100 things, but that wasn't it. And I think when you think about response, it's important to get that response from the right people. And I guess the way I, I mean that is, is that sometimes the reason why we feel shame is because of who we're currently sharing our story with. And sometimes part of the shame resolution is changing who your story shared with. You know, I think about a lot, you know, that our families are engraved with these hierarchies of, of bad behaviors. And one thing I find, in, and I love my family, and this is not a knock to my mom and dad, if we listen to this, I'm sorry. But our relationship has an underlying built-in piece of shame from mm-hmm. a parent to a child, from a sibling to another sibling, extended family. And I think the key to your story is, is that you found Chris, who was going through a similar experience, and the shame was not built into your relationship to where you could grow and move forward. Oh, but it was. He just okay. didn't know that. So when we got to Nashville, we had that first day, like today there was a wellness reflection, and I come and like, okay, I'm going to tell my story. And I got up and, and I told my story of being, being suicidal up to the insulin mm-hmm. point. I got home and I'm like, gee, that went pretty well. And there was a voice in the back of my head saying, no, you lied. What did I lie about? Like you let everybody there think that you couldn't handle your daughter having cancer, that you were depressed, but that wasn't it. You were thinking that if it was getting worse, that you were going to take care of any pain and torture, that you were going to kill yourself and her. And you let them think of an entirely different thing. You're, you're going to fix that tomorrow. So it was a really bad night. Yeah. March 7th was probably the most stressful time in my entire life. Mm-hmm. So the next day, I emailed Chris. I guess I thought that maybe by email he wouldn't check. It's not a text. He's like, how about 2 o'clock? <laughs> so I'm getting more nervous and nervous. I'm like, well, this is my first cord. I never have to come back to cord. I never have to do anything that he does in emergency medicine which is everything. I never have to go to the state of Kentucky. So apparently, like, this level was like, I, this whole state of Kentucky <laughs> was yeah. taken out. And when we sat down, I'm like, this is crazy. I know who you are. Yeah. So he didn't know what I was going to say, but I already knew. And I thought that this could go bad. And when we got to the end, we had that same little gap. And he said, I get it. You felt responsible. Of course you get it because you're having the exact same thing. And it never crossed my mind because I was so focused on me. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think of that other side. I think the key to finding the people that are going through it with you is to realize that you both have gone through something horrible. 
and you both come from similar, like different backgrounds, but experiences are what bring us together and allow us to heal. And we've talked about that on other venues within the podcast. Lois, what else do you have? Well, we've talked a, a bunch of things, but one of the things where I find that I still have work to do mm-hmm. and is the biggest part is there's the story and the response, mm-hmm. but that middle space, that gap, it's a liminal space. It is a threshold. Mm-hmm. And when you have shared your stories, things will change. It will either get better or worse. And when you're in that liminal space, what I found is that I filled that space with judgment. What I thought you were going to say, what I felt, sort of, I think, to protect myself, because if you were going to say something awful, I will have already said it to myself, and so I wouldn't be wounded by that. And I always chose the judgment. But you don't have to choose the judgment. Mm -hmm. You can wait to hear what they say, or you can say, I did the best I could at that time. And nobody else would know the story that I have. So whatever you say, that's the way you see it. But I don't have to buy that. And vulnerability is the important part, an empathetic response. But one of the big differences is that gap in between and the choices you make and the compassion and forgiveness you have for yourself yeah. is really where, where a lot of the healing occurred. You use the word forgiveness, and it reminds me one of my favorite favorite quotes, and I'm sure it's not an exact quote, but Oprah Winfrey actually said it best when she said, forgiveness is is giving up the hope that the past could have been any different than it was. And what you said is kind of that same aspect, right? Like forgiving yourself is you did the very best you could with what you had. And acknowledging that helps so much more because that helps you embrace that concept you said of earlier of, I don't care what your judgment is because you've already forgiven yourself. The forgiveness, we always think the forgiveness has to come from someone else, but it starts with we have to be able to forgive ourselves of that shame. We give people that power to make (laughs) a judgment about us on things that they may not know anything about. Right. And that was one of the big learning things was I have that control over that and how I choose to see how your response is. Right. So where have you gone since, because 2016 was big. It's when I think you came to the realization, the thing with Carlos happened with Chris and you guys got together. What has made it work since then? Because I feel like when I think about shame cycles, because I think that those, those are real, we break out of our shame cycle where we stop holding ourselves accountable probably more than we should. We forgive ourselves. How do you stay from going back into that cycle where you feel worthless? You feel that you are a bad person. And how do you like keep above that line? And how have you done that for the last couple of years? A lot of practice. <laughs> a lot of practice. I think one of the reasons for that is that I began to trust that the response would not hurt me. So much so that that first summer, I was so confused by it. I'm like, you don't hurt me. I don't understand why not, because I would hurt me. Like all these things that I say, I would hurt me. So I don't understand why you don't. I always expected that. And that first change was to not, to learn not to have that judgment, to learn to expect a different response. And there are ways I think you can learn empathetic responses. Watching it by example has been one of the greatest things. So 
um, Brene Brown has four areas that she says is important for empathy. It actually comes from Teresa Wiseman's work. And she says the first thing you have to do is be able to take somebody else's perspective. And that was important to me. Uh, one of the things that we did um, was I decided that I had to show my daughter's MRI because we were going to be recorded. I didn't want to get into uh, HIPAA problems, taking things off the Internet. And I had not shown that she was diagnosed December 3rd, 99. And the first time I showed that to any other doctor besides one taking care of her was February 28th, 2017. Mm -hmm. And I sent it, and I waited for the response. And I sent with a subject line, meet the monster. I'm going to use this. Are you going to be okay with it? I didn't know how that was going to go. I thought it was like, wow, didn't she have symptoms? Or like, what what showed first? What made you take her to the doctor? Because I had those questions without the MRI. With the MRI, it was just so much more. It looked like an orange in her head. And so the first thing was to take that perspective. Like he did, I don't know what I would do if it was uh, my kid and then to avoid the judgment and to recognize the emotions. And the fourth thing was to communicate that. And so I didn't know why I was going to get back. And it was like, holy smokes, I'll be good if you're good. Like, okay, there yeah. you go. There was no question. Yep, it's big. We're going to be okay. If you're going to be okay, I'm going to be okay. There's emotion there. I see it. And I'm not going to judge you for that. And that was one of the big things in learning how you can learn how to have an empathetic response. I didn't understand the components of it, but now I know and I know I can practice. I think what's key in that story is, is that you had built up this horrible response that you were expecting Mm -hmm. and almost working yourself up and getting worse. Mm -hmm. And when you got what you weren't expecting, it was like a huge relief. It was. And we had to practice. We did it again and again and again. Yeah. And now I'm okay with other people. It's sort of like when you have that the first time, you want to go back to that same person because you want to trust that it's true. Mm -hmm. And then once you're okay and you can have that gap and it be okay, it's okay with other people. You don't, you can do it like Joel did on front of, on top of, on the stage in front of 2,000 people and it's okay because you don't feel that judgment not from you not from them and it doesn't have to be the same person you can do it yourself Melissa we appreciate you coming on this is a great topic for those listening a personal plug shame is a bad place to be so we're going to help you listen to this episode look at some of the reading that, that Lois has brought for us and there's a bunch of other good resources out there that we'll put in some links as everything else somebody's always available so don't yeah. ever feel that you're alone because you're, alone, you're not. I'm so glad to come on this because three years ago, I thought that this was the most crazy thing, talking about suicidal ideation, and that I was telling everybody who would work with me, who would employ me, I was just doing myself in by doing this. And what I found is once I told the story, people were wonderful and supportive mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like I was holding that secret, that I had a mask on all the time, and I became more whole once I told the story. And I would have never said that that would have happened. I thought I would be never going to the state of Kentucky. 
Well, for those of you listening, we appreciate you listening to this great episode. Don't forget to follow us on our social media pages on Facebook, on Twitter, and Instagram, and follow our blog at emovereasy.com. Thank you.